The story of Pakistan cricket is quite fascinating given the nature of the triumphs and some defeats. They have produced uh, absolutely some of the most talented cricketers the game has ever seen, uh, which have uh, transformed into some breathtaking results and some very frustrating losses. Now, this is what has happened on the field. But if you're a fan of Pakistan cricket, there is a case of missing out on some of the world-class talent, which uh, the authorities and the board did not really take care of. Uh, so my guest today has had some of, uh, I think, from his vantage point, a very close view on how uh, the fortunes of the game has transformed over the last decade or so, or even more. So it's an absolute honor uh, to welcome Amir Nakvi, a very known name uh, in you know, cricket writing, Pakistan, subcontinent, world cricket. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you here, Amir. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be on the show. And uh, my small podcast doesn't really warrant an introduction for some of your work, but uh, whoever is listening, and they could be an oddball who really hasn't followed your work, uh, so tell the listeners here what you have been doing and how did the cricket journey start for you? Um, well, I, I I try and follow things that I enjoy doing in life um, as my profession as well. Um, so I've been working on a bunch of different things with cricket. The last thing I was doing was um, consulting uh, for the PSL social media um, output uh, just just before the... Uh, before we all went under lockdown. Um, and uh, prior to that, I've uh, been writing for Crick Info and, um, and other publications in Sakran Cricket and other places. Uh, as, as a fan growing up, was there a moment that uh, transformed you? Okay, you know, you'll, you'll write about cricket? Man, I think the decision was laid out to me by my uh, lack of talent. You know, um, when <laughs> like I just I I think I was I had no talent for any sport um, that I've ever played, um, and and cricket was no exception. And uh, I think because uh, you know in in generally across the subcontinent, perhaps more so in Pakistan, there's not a lot of other things to do. There's not a lot of other things to aspire for. There's not a lot of other things that like everyone gets so excited about. Um, you know, like especially the era that I've grown up in, even cinema, which used to be a much bigger deal in Pakistan, was wasn't so much, and you know, music etc. were coming on, but cricket has always been the one constant. Um, and I really enjoyed it, and I remember, uh, and you know, obviously I, I wasn't good at it. And uh, my mother always, you know, reminds me that like when I was young, I told her that I'm going to find a job uh, <laughs> where uh, where I'm my job is to watch cricket. Um, and so I guess, you know, right from the beginning when I realized that, okay, I obviously can't play it. I think my big, obviously like everyone else, I just wanted to be like captain of Pakistan and win the World Cup or whatever. And I think very early on, I realized that's never going to happen. So um, I was looking for alternative, I guess, ways into it. But to be honest, um, I never really thought about becoming a writer. It was just that after I graduated from uh, university, um, I started a blog and uh, one of the reasons for that I think was that you know I was working as a journalist and there's a lot of things that you can't talk about or you know I was pretty like that was my first job so maybe things that I that weren't my beat or my uh, uh, you know coverage or whatever so I started writing on a blog and um, cricket obviously was like a very natural thing to write about because it's always been a huge part of uh, the experience in Pakistan of living here and growing up here and everything. 
So it came about really not with as much um, uh, any great design. Um, I think I was very lucky to have the opportunity where, you know, blogging, uh, especially for for people in like my peers, um, blogging led to a lot of other opportunities in traditional media, um, and that's pretty much how it happened. And uh, I mean, as, as we explore, you know, writing on sports, uh, what do you say has been your strength? I mean, uh, is is opinion something you are more comfortable writing, or you prefer to write a match report, or doesn't matter as long as it's cricket? Actually, no. I think, uh, you know, I'm not, like, I'm, I I have friends, obviously, who write on the game and, you know, all around all these people. And one of the things that I feel is different is that I never really played it uh, or even enjoyed playing it. I think that's also really important because uh, I was just so bad at it. And so um, I've, like, you know, there's certain aspects of the sport that I'm not necessarily that interested in. Um, and those are usually your more analytical and you know, technical things. Um, for me, cricket is always really interesting in what happens to all of us who are consuming it, right? Who are all of us who are watching it, how it affects us, how it brings us together, how it tears us apart, what, it, um, what we project onto it, um, how it makes us feel. Um, I think that's for me, is always the most interesting thing if I'm writing. Um, and I can talk about society, I can talk about uh, culture and art and all the other ways that cricket kind of uh, becomes relevant. Um, you know, that for me is always the most exciting part. Like I think that, um, particularly in Pakistan, but I, I mean, you know, you can do it with anything really. But uh, there is, for me, I always find that you can explain a lot of things in Pakistan through cricket. And you can explain uh a lot of pakistani cricket through other things right like it's a it's such a big part of our society so um i feel that yeah like that's what's always for me um you know match reports and uh even opinions like that's not something that um is my primary motivation like obviously there'll be times i'll care about that a lot but i think for me like the biggest thing is always you know, the larger culture, uh, larger um, emotions and, and learnings and um, symbols of the game. Sure. So, yeah, this can definitely take a whole different podcast, but I'll try to, you know, what you said, because um, I'm thinking and I think I can definitely bring in some of those uh, views, which I've had in other podcasts. And I would love to get your take on behavior and cricket, how the society consumes cricket. I've been to Lahore once. Or twice actually, both in 1987 as a young boy, uh, and I'm, I'm from India. So when I was there, I could, I, I, there's you know hard to recall what as a 10 year old you could uh, capture what's going on. But one thing that stayed with me is the impact Imran Khan, you know, had on on Lahore. I didn't go to Faisalabad or Karachi. You know, we was there for Lahore for a vacation, and uh, maybe we can talk about that if uh, has his. Uh, has there been another cricket hero like him? Uh, that's uh, something because in India has produced. When I got into cricket from Gavaskar, Kapil, then Azhar, then you know Tendulkar, Ganguly, Dravid, now Dhoni and Kohli, uh, the the cricket heroes have been abandoned, and, and society really you know find them as pillars of escape because you know we all have mundane you know life or tough life or sometimes drudgery. Sports is a big escape, and sometimes we rally around these figures. 
So let me ask you this. Has there been anyone bigger than Imran? Uh, maybe he's a little before your time. I'm sure his impact is still felt. Or are there any heroes that have come close to his stardom? Yeah, I think this is a really, um, this is a really interesting question um, because there are many ways you can answer it. Obviously, the simplest answer is that he's prime minister of Pakistan right now. So clearly, um, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. No, no I was going to say, yeah, that, that, that's the obvious thing. Sorry to cut you off. But yeah, can, can we just say his impact, you know, as, as a cricket player? Of course, he's such a uh, huge political figure now. He's head of the country. So I'm sure you cannot discount that. But I was just talking more. I want your views more on how he was consumed as a cricketer and what the legacy was. I believe, yeah, that's, that's the, that is exactly what I was trying to answer with this fact that I think the, you know, one person, one way could be that, well, have a look at the fact that he parlayed and um, his international career into the post of prime ministership. Um, and I think that, and, and, and I'm, to be honest, I'm not really sure whether I agree or disagree with that, right? Because I feel uh, if I recognize my limitations, so my personal experience of Imran Khan is that the first uh, sort of cohesive memory to have of cricket um, come from the 92 World Cup, right? So that's a World Cup where Imran Khan is um, pretty terrible um, as a bowler. And uh, he's not the most exciting batter, but he plays like very crucial innings in the final and semi-final. Um, and then he retires. Um, and he's obviously won the World Cup. And um, and when he wins the World Cup, he uh, I think what was really, really important was that he then very soon, or well, actually do, he was already doing that. He planned it after 87, but um, he was raising funds for uh, the cancer hospital that he was building in his mother's name. Um, and that... In a way, like, I mean, now the reason that I'm having so much confusion is that the people who really supported Imran Khan becoming prime minister, the majority of them were born around this time or after this time. So they never consumed Imran Khan as a cricketer. Um, and, and, and what they did consume was the legend of Imran Khan. And so, for example, kids my age also, you know, we knew, okay, he's won the World Cup and all of us were really involved in fundraising, etc. And he was like this big icon and everything. And then he goes uh, further down, you know, um, that journey lasts for 20, 25 years, almost as long as his career. Um, and so I think in that, by that time, the, the Imran, the cricketer had, he was already, um, I think like, let's say 92, he was already being lost to the, to the larger mythology. Right. He was immediately, for example, groomed by former members of the army who had very strong ideological stances that they wanted him to adopt. Um, but if we just come back to his career, I think what Imran Khan's biggest impact a, is that, you know, there's no there's no real cricketer like him. I think that's still come to the game. Um, if you take his stats as a captain, he's averaging 50 with the bat and under 20 with the ball. And he's playing most of his tests in Pakistan. Um, or not most of his tests, but like, you know, he's playing a large number of his tests in the subcontinent. Um, and I think that level of success, it really elevated the Pakistan side to, you know, Mushtaq Muhammad had left a really exciting side and Imran takes it a step further. Um, that sustained level of success almost definitely was what led to cricket breaking out of the major two cities, Karachi and Lahore. 
and um, becoming a wider sport. And you see the impact of that in the in the 92 World Cup, where you've got a bunch of young players in Zimam, Mushtaq, uh, Wakar, who are coming from small towns in Punjab or, or lesser known cities, you know. Um, and then even before that, you had someone like Wasim Akram, who's coming from a working class background from Lahore. Um, the team that Imran had entered was mostly middle-class, upper-class people from Karachi and Lahore, almost exclusively. Um, and that was changing for many reasons, but the fact that Imran was leading such a consistently successful side um, really changed, um, you know, the, the impact of cricket on um, on the country, on its psyche. Um, and then I think at that point also, you know, Pakistan still had uh, several, like hockey was during Imran's career, at least, was as big a deal as cricket was in some, in some quarters, or at least was important to the national narrative. And there were a bunch of other sports as well that Pakistan would participate in. I think after, like, Imran's success um, and his team's success as much as his own, um, it, it, you know, it really transformed the fortunes of cricket and made Pakistan almost... Uh, again, there were other factors there as well, uh, not to do with even cricket itself, but end of the day, you had cricket as Pakistan as almost a one-sport country. Um, and I think the last thing that's most important about Imran was that he, and this is something that you still see in his in his aura, and has less to do with his cricket um, and everything to do with his background. Because Imran Khan is obviously coming from one of Lahore's elite families. He attends HSN. He goes to Oxbridge. His, um, you know, his, his cousin and uh, his a maternal uncle are you know, in the national side and the captain his the mom was captaining it and um so he's all of he's he's this consummate elite uh, product um but you know he through his cricket team success he started being viewed as this populist leader right like it's not like Imran never really had the populist touch and he really had to work on it as a politician and still doesn't really have it but he never really cultivated it as a as a player, but it kind of stuck with him. Um, and you, and, 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 and so later in his, his post cricketing career, after he's, you know, so as, as a cricketer, he's like, not only is he great and he's winning test matches, but he's also sleeping with, you know, Zina Taman or whatever, um, some London socialite as the rumor mill went. And so obviously that was really exciting um, for, um, uh, for his sort of image, right? And especially when he's a young man and he's like a successful young man and he's beating, you know, everybody across the world. It was, they, he obviously even back then had a lot of detractors, but one of his major supporters was General Zayal Haq, who was otherwise extremely <laughs> conservative and implementing Islamic laws across Pakistan. Um, and I think that when Imran retires and then he kind of finds God and religion and everything, that journey really resonates with a lot of middle class and upper class Pakistanis, right? Because it's it's this desire between wanting to embrace modernity and wanting to enjoy its um, its fun aspects, especially when you're younger. But you know, at some point, feeling like you're not able to find, um, you know, you're not able to find any spirituality or meaning in in the Western life and 
And this kind of crisis is, I mean, it's even common to, you know, the West uh, or let's say capitalist societies themselves. But especially if you look at the literature of the uh, of the subcontinental diaspora, it's a, it's a very common kind of concern, right? Where they leave behind like a conservative stifling country, but then they're abroad and they feel they can't connect to it. And that larger kind of um, encounter with modernity and, and trying to reconcile your needs and your traditions um, Iran really represents um, a microcosm of that, right? And and in a way that what people admire about him here, and again, this is, the, I'm talking a lot of this is about his perception. This is not necessarily, sorry, who Imran Khan the person may be, uh, but more like who, who he's perceived to be. And so the fact that he's seen as rejecting the West and, you know, trying to, improve the fortune of Pakistan, etc., um, is is also, you know, it is a very aspirational thing. You know, in that sense, like it mattered that he would like, you know, that he was both handsome and and debonair and and um very much at home in British society and in, in British aristocratic society. And then that he also realizes that actually Islam is better and he needs to give all of that up, etc. That's a narrative that's um, uh, that, that's that's very much that, that a lot of um, you know that a lot of like people, men of color, especially men of color of certain of of a Muslim faith of all of these things together have been grappling with themselves, um, and I think so. That's what becomes like a big part of his identity as well. So. I mean, I feel no, I <laughs> if think... you wanted the uh, question to just stay to his cricket. Um, and, and to be honest, like, because I've grown up in the shadow of his cricket career or in the aftermath of his cricket career, um, you know, all roads for me always lead back to like his outsized impact uh, beyond the game. No, I think you definitely unpack quite a lot and I got more than I bargained for. And, and, it's, and it's true. Uh, when you're talking about that kind of a figure whose cricket legacy still lives on, even though, uh, you know, he's like one of those folklore uh, kind of players. Even this article by Mark Nicholas that appeared in the Cricket or the Cricket Monthly last week just shows how big his shadows are as a cricketer who played in Sussex. Then, you know, like you said, movie star looks and captaining Pakistan and flamboyance. So what I want to do is here uh, include Javed Miyadad. Because uh, no conversation about Imran, the cricketer, and his impact is complete without Javid Miyadad. It's just like Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen or Kapil Dev and Sunil Gavaskar. And, you know, those parallels are there. And uh, what yeah. you unpacked here is pretty staggering because I'm also from North India. And I know, you know, uh, there are two countries now. But I've met a lot of yeah. people from Lahore. And I see yeah. a lot of, you know, common traits between a Delhi guy and a Lahore guy. And, yeah, they, and yeah, they, they, yeah. they may not even agree because that's what the culture is, the Punjabi culture or the North Indian culture with, you know, uh, very, uh, we kind of, uh, you know, idolize the same traits. We may not acknowledge. And similarly, if Imran Khan was an Indian, he would still be a bigger superstar than anyone. I mean, because that's, that's how it plays. And India has had a lot of Imran fans to begin with. So let's bring in Javed here. And what you said, all the reasons. And you said, like, Imran never really actually cultivated, you know, all that uh, was you know, part of his Oxford or like, you know, English, uh, you know, upbringing or college cricket he played. You think that kind of uh, in our society, especially in Pakistan society, which is very similar than uh, India, what I'm trying to say is you think Miyadad's undoing was because he was measured up against like such an uh, iconic figure 
that PCB actually wanted to construct everything around him. It was just like the perfect poster boy that was given to them. And, you know, why don't you want to cash those checks? Because, you know, that's that's a deal made in cricket heaven if you are PCB. And was Mia that short change? I know this is also a little beyond before your time. But this Imran versus Mia, I think these stories have, they still live on. They, they coexisted. And they gave Pakistan a couple of memorable runs. And Miyadad had was totally okay to be his deputy. But do you think he got shortchanged because of Imran's charisma? Or do you think he got shortchanged purely uh, on cricketing strategy? Or for some people might say for his lack of it uh, in terms of, you know, he was a great player. But yeah, I don't want to say things that are not appropriate. But that's how, as an Indian boy across the border, I've consumed these stories. And I'm sure there's a lot more think- to it. What is your take on it? What have you heard? I mean, this is more like we're going in nostalgia of opinion making. Uh, you know, I'm so- going to give you a really shocking analogy here. Um, and, and as an Indian, and, and so I hope your listenership is not offended, but you just have to bear with me uh, through it. Um, it's The dynamic is a little bit, the dynamic as it has been sold um, is almost like Imran was Nehru and Miyadad was Gandhi, right? <laughs> you've got this one aristocratic guy who's like the actual captain and then you've got this other charismatic guy who seems to represent the soul uh, of, of everything and he's more, you know, uh, he's, he's more local and native um, and sp- specifically in the Imran-Javed dichotomy, it was played up in extensively because obviously you know it was easy javed is darker and he's shorter and imran is like you know more athletic and he looks more western and he she, she sounds more western and um and i definitely think cricket which is a game that's that carries so much of a colonial hangover um it was also really like i feel it was people were really fond of um playing it out that way. And then it kind of also fed into these narratives about Lahore and Karachi, where Karachi is where, you know, the majority of the, uh, where almost all the North Indian migrant population settles, and it has a disproportionate political influence in the country. Um, but there, there's a lot of resentment towards Lahore, which is where the Punjabi aristocracy lives. And by the time Imran and, and, and Javed have uh, start playing their cricket, the center of power has shifted um, irreversibly from Karachi to Lahore forever. So again, there's that narrative that plays into it and etc. I think, you know, I think um, Usman Samyuddin started like the rehabilitation of this um, narrative of, of Javed thing because the first thing I have to keep in mind is that Javed is not poor. He's not working class. He comes from a... He comes from, I mean, anything that can be described between upper middle class to um, upper class because like I think the background he comes from that kind of area Karachi has this tendency where it's a city that's always on the, the change so like the downtown changes every 20 years um, because it keeps expanding and growing and so I think where Miyadad by the you know uh, by the 80s and 90s where he grew up that area had become a bit run down um, but he was from a family that's of like essentially trade and business right and like um they're not at all um working class or living in the slums or whatever um they're perhaps they're not as aristocratic as imran's family is but then again um 
there's almost no one left like even if they were if you were in karachi and at some point an aristocrat or something um you know you'd left all that behind so in a way that really changed the mentality of that community and everything else and so so that's one thing i think the other thing is um is that i i don't really feel like where like you know if you feel uh, javed got short changed that would be probably that he was in captain you know and he probably uh, more than any other vice captain or uh, you know uh, um accrues a lot of the the credit for imran's successes right and like there is that the stats etc for you know when um javed had like had had an underrated record as leader etc and you know he all had like bad luck or he had man management issues etc and i mean i can see that i've heard these arguments all my life uh, by a lot of bitter like especially that was actually in the first pakistan cricket conflict that my family um my uncles uh, kind of uh, told me about was that oh, we're from karachi and we love miadad and the lahoris love imran khan and imran had retired by this point but like you know that was one of the first reasons i never liked imran <laughs> growing up um and and so there was there was a very strong narrative about it but actually if you look at it i mean they're both uh, you know miadad is not underrated by anyone in world cricket um he is um you know he's uh, he we and imran are both the player who the, the main stars of a team that is the world's you know second best team one of the all time great teams and while a lot of their earlier teammates didn't get that success in 87 both of them also walked away with the world cup so i you know i think it worked out as well as it could have um for anyone and uh, especially when you look back at it now it is a, undoubtedly the peak of pakistan cricket where afterwards you've probably had far more talented sides um but you know the kind of egos and stuff couldn't coexist and when you look at the fact that whatever imran and miadad's issues were they were consistently um featuring and and starring and playing well together for this team um so i don't i mean i you know i think personally i feel and i don't they, i know this is a minority opinion from karachi it's a case but i don't think uh, it worked out that badly for me adad um and i think when you look back at um, you know highlights of like some of their important matches and everything it also becomes obvious where you know miadad miadad is excellent with sort of constantly coming up with tactics with strategy with getting underneath the skins of the other players getting under the umpire's skin um you know and imran's kind of can then focus on on his bowling which often he's shouldering the attack alone and um you know uh playing like as a good cop to javed's bad cop um i especially if you look at the 87 bangalore test um there are times where the pakistani fielders are just absolutely destroying the umpire like you know if you look at it with people like now who grew up with neutral umpires and a lot more fines for dissent etc it's it's actually shocking they're just ripping into the umpire and and miadad's leading that and um, the umpire kind of pleads to imran who just stands at a distance with his arms folded and i felt that really captured uh, you know what the situation was where imran it was absolutely useful for him to have a presence like miadad who could really keep his team uh, you know motivated and was very sharp and was 
a brilliant cricketing mind um and you know also uh, it, it it helped cover some of his deficiencies um so i think i think it was a pretty um it it worked out really well for both of them perhaps in the initial years or maybe you know some yatat fans will feel that his legacy was kind of ruined or this that and the other but i feel that it you know um there was if i if i look back at all the other talent that pakistan's wasted or not fulfilled its potential um the fact that niyadad probably like one of the most sublimely uh, you know talents that pakistan produced managed to reach his potential is more than enough for me no uh, definitely that was uh, that was quite the response uh, covering you know the journey of these two great cricketers together and uh, yeah the the nehru and gandhi response is the first time i'm hearing maybe it's common <laughs> Uh, in india in- it's not i just i just came up with like you know i was trying to think how do i explain this to you okay. because you know like i mean especially if you read it how the british look at gandhi they're just like this guy is just you know he is the worst and he is he's base and he's barely human and you know nehru is somebody that they, they can speaks in their language and was educated in their schools and everything um so it was, he was more relatable right but um they the relationship between nehru and gandhi was very different from the their relationship with the british mm-hmm. and i feel in a lot of ways that's why i chose that analogy that imran and miyadad knew what their relationship was and how to make it work for themselves but their relationship with the larger cricket world was very very different and you know miyadad was and so miyadad was stereotyped completely as another thing and imran as another thing and both those stereotypes aren't that really true the same way they aren't very really true for nehru and gandhi sure And again, I mean, I have a slightly different view on uh, Gandhi and Nehru because, I, in my mm-hmm. view, Nehru looked up to Gandhi, and you know that that can be a whole uh, different conversation and little more beyond my knowledge. But uh, we've con- we've compared them to Gavaskar and Kapil. Imran was like you know well spoken like Gavaskar, and Gavaskar and Kapil swapped captaincy, and the board really wasn't you know making good decisions back then in India. So I think that's what I was saying. And then the other part is uh, post Imran, the way Miyadad was treated. uh is another reason because imran is someone who retired in 87 comes back again leads the team and you know fairy tale ending and javed miyadad and i have some indian friends who are huge javed miyadad fans and they think because of imran's you know command or control over the board or whatever reasons javed uh did not you know get the treatment he deserved and of course these are all hearsay and how people consume information like you said imran was doing stuff what virat kohli is doing today imran wanted a player and you get the player and i was talking to ayaz memon who's such a senior indian reporter and i asked him are players bigger than the game and he said no you have to look at it differently now look at nba or world you know soccer or atp everywhere the players are calling the shots and that's what you know uh, bcci sometimes gives into what kohli wants that's how it seems to you but players are you know the catalyst and imran was doing it you know 25 30 years ago when there was no such thing so that was my point of contention that okay they got along which is fine and they had a very successful uh time as captain and vice captain but the treatment of miyadad post imran's retirement i think from far it leaves a lot to be desired i, I mean i feel um i'll just do this briefly but like i feel that part of the reason that imran is also doing that is because he the the player power generation had already come into effect right the 
um, with with the county contracts and like the Mustaq Mohammed era, that side is just filled with county players. And certainly they had more money and they, you know, and so I think A.H. Kardar was heading the PCB and there's a big fight. And especially after World Series cricket, um, there's a lot of impetus that swung towards um, uh, the players. And I think the second thing that also that generation of cricketers from the global south, they were, you know, it's not like they were very politically active, but because of the kind of resonance that the West Indies wins were producing, there's certainly a lot more awareness of like, you know, asserting their own identity um, as a team. And, and, you know, Imran kind of writes about that and and others have as well. And so I think also in in that way, um, there was perhaps this, a greater intensity, okay, let's put our bullshit aside, um, to, you know, to get to like this goal or whatever. Like, I guess there was a clarity of purpose, um, which then perhaps allowed, you know, these loops. And then that's in addition to the fact that, as you mentioned, he did have a lot of power and, and he was very close, as I mentioned, to a dictator running the country. And so that, that just smooths out a lot of bureaucratic hassles. No, absolutely. And I think that's, that's a, you know, view you had or anyone had from whatever vantage point, because he was just coming bigger than the game and that's okay. And, you know, his legacy lives on. And as an Indian, you know, uh, I didn't enjoy these cricketers, but now when I look back as a, in my middle years, I'm in my forties, I appreciate what they brought. They were great cricket players. Uh, Imran is a fascinating follow. Uh, The cricketer Javid Miada was, you know, ahead of his time when he was chasing those totals. He was such a feisty character. Yeah. So uh, definitely, I mean, you know, objectivity comes at a price. When I was young, I could care less about these two. But uh, now I don't mind doing podcasts and digging more. So uh, let's bring in... I think, you know, I'm sorry to cut you, but like I feel you answer, you know, that question about Miyala, then I feel that it's another podcast to really get into the heart of it. But one thing that I do feel about Miyala is that, you know, he's also somebody who was at his best when he had to prove someone wrong. You know, and I feel that's another reason why his, like, his, the latter, the end of his career kind of becomes difficult is because the gap between him and then the rest of the squad was also too big, right? Like, it was literally a generation apart and, and they had different kind of priorities and everything. So I feel that was another problem for me, Adad, where I think he worked, he was at his best when he had to prove somebody wrong. Um, and perhaps being in complete authority or in charge, like his stints as coach or everything, like you know, he, his genius is undoubted. But um, is he the great a great manager? It does not look to be the case. Yeah, well, well said, and definitely uh, the original plan wasn't uh, to spend thirty five minutes of this podcast on Imran and Javed, but that's how rich the context is, and I'm enjoying this. But let's just jump ahead and. Uh, and let's talk about some of the talent that Pakistan has lost. I know this is a very quick segue. I'm skipping something here, but maybe we'll have you again. But let's talk about Muhammad Zahid. And uh, one of my friends who helps me prep these podcasts, and he's a bunch of a historian, he thinks that's the biggest loss. Uh, and he's an Indian. He thinks that's the biggest loss to Pakistan cricket because a fully fit Zahid would have bowled in tandem with Shoei Bakhtar and the tail end years of Asim Akram and still good amount of cricket left for Bakar Yunus. So you think that's the biggest loss or Pakistan board was okay, okay, we had three world-class bowlers and uh, his injury wasn't prioritized? Or do you look look back at that incident the same way, wow, we could have, you know, a four-paceman attack and we our board really did not, you know, help preserve this cricketer? 
I mean, I feel. <clears throat> I think that. I think that, like, at least under the age of forty, anyone who supports Pakistan cricket will have, you know, many names that can be talked about as the great what ifs, right? Um, I, I mean, I think if you look at every single. Pakistani player are after Imran and Javed. The question really is, what if, right? So, what if Wasim had not been caught up in fixing? What if Vakar did not have that injury? Uh, what if Wasim and Vakar got along and didn't try and fuck each other careers up? Um, what if Shoaib Akhtar did not have all his issues? Uh, for me, like the loss that I feel strong most strongly is Asif. You know, what if he wasn't an unrepentant? Bastard, basically. Um, you know, Amir, um, uh, that happening to him. Um, already Hassan Ali, um, the way that his injuries have been treated has already become a what if. Um, and so, yeah, Zahid, I think, you know, when I think back at Zahid, at that point, um, for, a, for I was like, let's say I was around 12, 13 when he debuts. And I'm eight when Pakistan's won the World Cup. So, you know, for me specifically, we grew up in an era of extreme uh, success and plenty. And, you know, the fact that we hadn't won uh, the, the next World Cup was like, oh, it's an, you know, aberration or whatever, we fix it. Or, and, um, and it's not really until much, like, you know, you kept thinking, okay, Pakistan's just, is just going to get its shit together, right? And, and even every time it looked like it wasn't, someone like Zahed or some other transcendental talent would show up and you'd be like, okay, great. Pakistan's going to be awesome again. And it's really when the 90s end, and especially like the last decade on Twitter, there was a lot of backlash to nostalgia for that era. And like, you know, the Mizbah team was almost the antithesis of that era. But it's really defined by, a, you know, just a team that could have been as good as any, um, you know, it's sandwiched, the 90s are sandwiched by the two greatest teams in cricket history. If Pakistan's 90s side had been consistent and, you know, at least for a Pakistani fan, you could still make the argument that could have been an all-time great side. And there was so much potential that even if Zahid had not ever shown up, and so you transition from like maybe Akib um, and Shahid Nazir, etc., to uh, Shweb, that's still pretty fucking awesome. Um, you know, and if you had Zahid, well, you know, that, that's just in, insane. Um, but really, I think at no point did Pakistan field its best possible 11 with all of them, you know, not having shady <laughs> question marks over them or infighting or some other bullshit. So, I guess for a lot of people, Zahid kind of epitomizes it because he got injured so quickly that you didn't get to find out that, oh, actually he smokes up or um, smuggles drugs into UAE or, you know, fixes matches or uh, X, Y, Z, like there's a billion misdemeanors by Pakistani cricketers. So can I throw in a theory here again, an observation more than a theory? So a lot of times what I'm trying to tie in here is uh, people used to ask me, 
not people. I'm, I mean, I'm not a podcaster back then, but my friends, we were discussing who's a better captain, Border or Imran? You know, that's a predominant question in my teenage years. And my answer was always Imran created something that didn't have a template and Border created that was part of a system. And his legacy was Taylor, then Steve Waugh, then Ricky Ponting. The team got better. Imran did something that was just unprecedented. It, it flew and worked under him. But I think what you just said, back in the day, players were getting bigger. So that is my question to you. So for all the missed opportunity and all the mishaps surrounding the Pakistan team and his talent, you think Imran's legacy left a hole because they were, they were used to that kind of a leader and the people who ran the PCB and the players became powerful. So they were, it was not a cohesive marriage. It was always like a boxing bout and there were a lot of collateral damage. Man, I think uh, we we have to obviously be cognizant of the fact that something like match fixing um, is is forces that are well beyond anything that Imran did institutionally, right? Um, and we still really don't have a clear audit of what happened um, because it wasn't a Pakistan problem; it was a cricket problem. Um, so that's, for example, that's one thing that really took the '90s down. But I think uh, we've discussed this on, you know, we in uh, uh, this podcast, we sporadically do called Paces PCR and um, a bunch of us, Hassan Chima and Usman Samibin and others have talked about this as well, is that the great irony is that the 90s team plays the way Imran talks about playing cricket, Right. Where Imran, the legend of Imran is, I know, I bowl as fast as you can and hit as big as you can and back the youngster and blah 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 blah. And that's a really, you know, that's uh, it's something that a lot of that legend is built because the West really also wants to buy into such narratives, right? Um, Imran is like a fascinating thing for them to project these things onto because if you just look at the Pakistan '80s team, um, Wasim shows up midway through the decade right and he's not really a world-class bowler uh, he's obviously he's got a lot of talent but he's not a consistent bowler until you know by, by the end of the decade um by the time Imran's already gone more or less right so it's like um and and you have apart from them um he had Sarfaraz at the beginning and really no other quality pacer and then with spin as well you've got Abdul Qadir who's who's again who's got this huge reputation but has an uneven kind of record and um, you know is a bit again like spin also also comes with its own caveats etc but it's also again it's not a loaded bowling attack it's also not a loaded batting attack um, you know it's it's got a lot of guys who can hang in there and you know then people like me and Sakra can, can take it on because like it's really the the Mushtaq Bahamut team. Again, that's a lot like the idea of the Pakistani team, where there's like a lot of dashing players, the you know Asif Iqbal and Majid Khan and um, Sadiq Muhammad and you know all these guys and Sarfraz and Basim Raja and Imran Khan. That team is is very much the idea that Imran is associated with, and the '90s team is like that. But Imran's own team is not like that. And again, you've got to wonder where, you know, Imran is somebody, again, who, like, you do says a lot of things, but they're not necessarily what he does. Um, and I feel that's something where you, when you start kind of separating um, the legend from the reality, uh, you start seeing that actually, you know, what, what Imran does do is that he 
um, takes a process which is already happening under Mushtaq, which is like, you know, the players are getting more professional because they're going to the counties, they're they're getting trained better, they're taking this a lot more seriously. Um, and there's, there's, you know, they're, they're a lot more, um, they, there's a, they've, they've taken off that kind of 60s approach of like getting a draw or whatever, this and that. So they're playing more attacking cricket. And that kind of uh, continues and uh, etc. And they kind of, uh, you know, uh, bank on the youth and, and all of that. But in a lot of ways, there is, um, uh, you know, Imran's side is perhaps great precisely because it doesn't do all the things that are associated with Imran, the greatness, right? Precisely because it does have, you know, the nerdlers and, uh, you know, kind of dibbly dobblers and, and all of that, those uh, aspects to it, which allows it to play gritty cricket and which al- it allows it to compete with all these other teams versus where you've got the 90s, which is um, such an effervescent kind of side, right? Where when it's hot, it is absolutely hot because you've got 11 players or at least, you know, nine, eight to nine players who can win a match on their own. But most of the time, they're just not playing in tandem. And I think that's where the the, the legacy of Imran is that perhaps he sold this idea that wasn't sustainable. And, and we often think that, oh, his successors did not live up to his legacy. They actually lived up to what they thought his legacy was because the Pakistani team, again, if you look at the way it plays, it's playing very attacking cricket. It's playing what Imran always talks about. But now the big question is, Imran, you know, maybe he didn't have the resources to play the way he wanted to play. But regardless, the way he actually ended up playing was perhaps the template that needed to be followed. Um and, you know, uh, so I think that's where you've got to consider it. Um, and then obviously you make a really good point about the systems available to border side versus uh, what Imran's side is doing. Because Imran, um, what he's helps, you know, what he's, uh, his big legacy really is making the game as big as it was in Pakistan. And, and, and sort of um, helping crystallize the the identity of the team. But that identity exists before Imran as well. It's just popularly associated with his, you know, the corner tiger thing and all of that is associated with him. But it, it is, you can see that in, in both the results and the nature of Pakistani teams before and after. No, I think, uh, again, I'm not in disagreement to what you're saying, but in my view, uh, I slightly still think uh, his void I think created like some sort of a, a management havoc because they were so used mm, to mm, so used to him calling yes, the shots. For sure. Yeah, for sure. But that was, I think, that was a a, a big kind of, um, and that's kind of reflected in the country, right? So the country is also run by one guy, and it does not have the, that kind of democratic uh, setup and and uh, processes and institutions. And it kind of gets replicated in that. And so, as you said, like afterwards, um, there is a big void. And there's also a lot of people looking to fill that void up <laughs> with their own egos. Yeah. And that's why in my response to the border versus Imran thing, my my punchline was Imran is a leader, border is a captain. I mean, you know, that's that's how I still view that. So you, you said something very interesting in your response that eight or nine match winners. And this is going to take a whole different... Uh, uh, turn now the conversation but uh, during my interaction with some of my Pakistani friends who have met in the US and we've 
we've talked about the cricket at length and the term match winner wasn't used kindly towards some of our favorite indian cricket players but now virat kohli yeah virat kohli has a lot of fans in pakistan and he's the ultimate match mm-hmm. winner so i want to get your view on that maybe you've discussed this in the past somewhere you've probably written about it so tendulkar not being the match winner and kohli being the match winner uh, throw some light on that and how was your view of a pakistani fan consuming the career of tendulkar and why you think fairly or unfairly uh, the pakistan fandom always said he's a great player but he's not a match winner so i think part of this comes from the nature of cricket itself right where um as the way that crickets is structurally set up it's a series of individual battles um between groups of players that represent a team but there's very few acts in fact there is no act that the entire team is performing in concert perhaps other than like you know the moment before the delivery is bowled right like other than that is the bowler batter and two fielders maybe three so in that situation there's obviously a lot of scope for one player to have an outsized impact than they could on football right like a, a sport like football where you know um there's only so much you can do on your own right the the, the dynamics of the sport are very different um so that's the one thing i also have this theory where i feel that you know if you look at it you've got like i've always kind of hinted at this in other places and you know we can go into detail behind this but just to go to it quickly like if you look at it historically like the west indies pakistan and sri lanka are three kind of teams that generally tend to produce players that are almost in defiance of the norms that cricket a colonial endeavor has set up right and you contrast that with india which especially until the 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 20 20th century produced you know very much players that were what the colonialists would have liked to see right they were very polite or like and i'm generalizing hugely here and the 83 team and blah blah but what i'm just saying is that um these three teams generally had this uh, this approach of being kind of more mavericky or whatever and you know like the an almost a kind of uh, defiance to the colonial way of looking at the game and i feel this those things come together where there was um you know there's this expectation of um of of like one guy kind of um, you know being able to take the team all the way to the end and and at least like now i'm this is obviously me just coming up with a lot of different things if i had to write an article on this i'd have to be a lot more concrete like so i'm throwing different strands at it another one is that for example that i'd done this uh, story on on you know the type of batters that karachi produces and uh, i learned that you know in the late 70s early 80s there was a lot of a limited over cricket that was played in like you know urban parks or really open lots and um and a lot of uh, kind of you know uh, major domestic players and a few international players emerged from this um setup and a- again like the big thing there was the guy who can take his team to the win and you know um, lead them to victory etc and so like as i said like as a sport cricket already has 
a greater tendency for an individual to be like this and then certain cricketing cultures i feel prize that more than the kind of colonial objective of the team working together or whatever um and you know when you put all of that together you get this situation where um you know you if we look at the 90s and this conversation of match winners you can have a conversation about sachin that doesn't even involve pakistan because you compare him to lara right and lara had to deal with a lot more of that oh my god he can never lead us to a win whereas sachin was always you know like he so and also 90 sachin and and then afterwards is a very different conversation so i'm i'm just going to limit it to 90s right now and so you know where you had lara who had both this expectation that our team has to win and be beat everyone else and this greater expectation that you know he's meant to take us to the victory even if he has to do it on his own and he kind of does do that and he has those iconic kind of innings and at least in the 90s sachin is defined by almost always being asked to do it on his own and it his own not being enough and that um again as i said in the pakistani approach to the game it was barely a team playing and one of the main reasons for that was that they all felt that you know if i feel like it i can do this on my own um and that's not i i don't want to come across as this is an ideal strategy for cricket but what what we can say is that this was definitely something that defined how pakistanis looked at the game especially then lesser so for younger generations now perhaps um and that was something that that's why i think before kohli the first real indian kind of superstar in pakistan i feel was dhoni right like dhoni when he comes in the 2005 tour i think uh, 2004 i don't think he's part of the French first one he's part of the he's part of that right so his his hair is a big deal and musharraf's talking about it and and but what everyone loves is that it he feels like a miyadad right he loves the chase he's very good at pinching singles and being sharp and being alert and and most importantly he's on the winning side right and sachin basically for pakistanis at least it was like oh he never won anything when he was on his own and then all of a sudden this golden generation shows up and now you know sachin kind of rides their coattails to to <laughs> to glory um and then i think when he i was asked to write an article on him when he reached 100 or some or when he retired or something like that and you know that that was an opportunity for me also to revisit his career and and revisit my biases about him um and i did obviously you know could appreciate like such a record is phenomenal um but <laughs> you know even now i feel that um that that brian lara was just just epitomized just a much much greater approach because he was always on his own and you know he was the true match winner so i guess that was a kind of that's the kind of thinking that especially pakistanis from the 90s and perhaps earlier are locked into um and perhaps will always uh, be a part of it and that's why players like kohli players like dhoni have been so so popular uh, in pakistan um although kohli's recent icc record is a bit worrying but but i love him so i'm not going to say i mean it. there's definitely you know uh, there's a few things i can disagree with and i've discreet uh, disagreed about that in person discussions and it's okay you know what your response is and you explained 
uh, in depth, in depth, the mindset of Pakistani team. So I'll plug in something else there then. So uh, my take on this further, when we come, of course, cross-generation cricket comparison or any, any, any sport is very tough. But since we are in this hypothetical exercise between Kohli and Tendulkar that I propose, so I'll go further. I think it's also a byproduct of Pakistan teams when Sachin started were was a world-class outfit. It was the remains of the Imran team with the great Akram and Bakar. Inzamam was there. So that was a solid team. And Sachin didn't have great bowling, you know, in, yeah. in, in the Indian team. And so I think the, and that equation made the fan, if I'm a Pakistani fan, okay, you, are, you may be the best batter in the world, but you can't beat them. You're not a match winner. But if you take a dive into, further into time machine and 20 years later, Virat Kohli's team not only has world-class bowling, it has world-class fielding. And the game has, of course, changed. But at the same time, Pakistan is not the same outfit anymore. So you think it's easy for a fan to accept? Because I don't think chasing makes you a winner. Because if you're batting at the top, you may not be there to complete the chase. So that's the big disclaimer I want to throw in. Nothing to take away from Virat Kohli's world class and his numbers will only get better. I think you, there's firstly, obviously, the narrative is, ob- is obviously going to be affected by the present, right? So, um, you know, like right now, the in basketball, for example, with this the, the, the last dance coming out, all of a sudden you had like a lot more people saying, okay, Jordan's the goat or whatever. But like 2016, when 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 the uh, Cleveland beats Golden State after three one down, like you know that conversation was changing. So, I mean, that's one thing. Like the narrative, that's one of the beautiful things about it and the frustrating things about it. That's never really based on um, a, 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 the, the complete picture or whatever. It's it's um, it's based on a lot of other things. Um, and I feel like probably you know. Um, for all of us, like definitely, you you can as you, for '90s fan like myself, like as I said, that I learned to appreciate, uh, you know, what Sachin had achieved even in the '90s and against Pakistan and all of those things later on in life. But um, I think even if you get everyone in Pakistan to understand the rational part of that argument, the edge that Kohli has, and that's another big insight into the Pakistani cricket psyche is that Kohli is, wears his heart on his sleeve, right? So that, I mean, most Pakistanis don't really are not like, no, I don't want to generalize too much, but what I'm saying is that whole idea of Pakistan cricket and being so passionate and fickle and mercurial and whatever, et cetera, et cetera, that is resonated by somebody whose emotions are very uh, visible, right? Whereas um, somebody who is um, very kind of cold or or... Uh, whatever is not going to give off that same vibe, and and I think really it's not even cold. I think because I, as I said, said that I was like, it's I. You have to be either ice cold, like so that Dhoni persona or the Kohli persona, um, because again, Dhoni's hitting those big shots, etc., but being very cool. But you know, someone like maybe a Dravid or a Sachin and those types, that persona also is not a match. And I really want to give a shout out to a film that I saw for the first time two days ago, directed by Dev Anand, called Aval Number. And um, usme there's uh, Aditya Pancholi plays a character named Ronnie. Um, and Ronnie is unlike Ronnie is, I guess, Ravi Shastri, but Ravi Shastri the player was not like that. Ravi Shastri the personality was. But Ronnie is just like fucking hitting sixes left, right, and center. And I really felt like that was what was missing 
in the Indian team from that era and really was present in the Pakistani team. Um, and so if you haven't seen that movie, uh, you really should check it out. No, no, I've seen that. The Amir Khan stuff. movie came in 1988, I believe. Yeah, I've seen that movie. So... So yeah, finish your response, please. So yeah, if you remember Ronnie from the, if you remember Ronnie from that, I feel you know that's what Pakistanis want, and I, I I felt that movie was so insightful because in that movie Amir Khan is just like really sweet and cherubic and he's nice and and it's insane because it comes out right about the time where Sachin is a um, in the movie Amir is impoverished and Sachin obviously wasn't, but they're both you know these angel faced boys from Bombay who make it to the side. And Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie, his analog really didn't truly exist or was, wasn't really allowed to exist in Indian cricket. And even in the film, they're all like, you know, what a fucking dickhead <laughs> Ronnie is, is and blah, blah, blah. Whereas I feel like with the Pakistani psyche, like they would love a Ronnie. And, and you see that again and again in, in the Pakistani, the kind of heroes that we create, like... Um, in the film, Ronnie has been the world's number one batsman since he debuted five years ago. Um, Shahid Afridi didn't even do any of that, but like Pakistanis still love him. So I feel that is a, that that was a big thing as well. Okay. You know, and it wasn't really until Kohli comes around that India starts embracing, or maybe before Kohli, I'm being harsh, a lot like Yuvraj and, and you know, that generation, that uh, India starts embracing. And Yuvraj, again, super popular in Pakistan. Uh, because people love that he's he's flamboyant, that his you know um, he plays good shots, but it's also part of it feels a part of his personality, um, you know. So that's something that I feel is a big thing for Pakistanis. No, well said, and I'm I'm surprised how you know across the border, you know. I mean, I, I'm definitely of Punjabi origin. I can see the flamboyance and the aggression, but then you know there's so much aggression in Rahul Dravid the way he you know, is defending Shoaib Akhtar, you know, like basically telling him, okay, get me out all day long, right? So, but again, that's that's a very fascinating response. So let me throw, you, th- th- throw this back to you. So, so, so is that a reason why Yunus Khan's talent is not that appreciated because, you know, he's maybe a guy who's more in the Indian mold of things because he's, you know, very classical batsman. You can see, throw him in the same books of, you know. Yeah, that is, this is basically the debate of the last, of the 2010s, right? Where you've got Mizbah side, which uh, which is full of characters like that. And um, Junus being a great example of it. And um, um, and they really are different because they're very professional, they're committed, they're working hard, they're not born with a lot of talent. And, um, you know, they're, they're playing well beyond their ages, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, for the longest, like, had they not become the world's number one team, I don't think they would have gotten any credit whatsoever. Um, the fact that they got there really, uh, you know, encouraged that. And then again, the big thing also is that that era is now literally 20, 30 years in the past. There, there people getting married now who've never really seen that era, you know. And so, um, I think. Uh, that's another thing to keep in mind that um, this is the Pakistan that they grew up with. Um, and cricket is still just as popular. So maybe, you know, so it's so it's helped a little bit. But overall, yes, I think that, you know, that's there. These guys don't, like Yunus, for example, does not fit the mold of what excites Pakistani fans. Like, you know, the general population 
um, in the subcontinent is more excited and cares a lot more about white ball cricket, which is not UNICEF's forte, you know. And then um, uh, if they do whatever kind of batting they like, they like somebody who can change the entire match in a session. You know, not someone like Yunus who can stand there for like a day or whatever. Um, and um, yeah, so I think that there is um, there's a lot of those players who don't fit, fit the mold and have to deal with a lot more um, scrutiny and difficulty that other flamboyant players don't. Okay, so looks like we'd, I'll definitely have to request you to come back because there's a lot left. And we are already, you know, closing in on one hour, 10 minutes. So I'll wrap this conversation up with Yunus Khan's appointment of being Pakistan's batting coach. So do you think uh, with his history with the Pakistan board and the team, is he the right candidate? Of course, technically, he's probably a great candidate to work on the batting techniques. But do you think that's a good marriage? And secondly, do you think he should have taken the Dravid route where he should have worked with the juniors and prepared the pipeline for Pakistan's, you know, batsmen coming for the future? So um, I think I should give a disclaimer that like I haven't been following these. Uh, this is this is exactly the kind of stuff that I'm not super invested in in cricket, and particularly when you know if I'm working uh, as a journalist, then I'll keep up. But I'm not doing that these days. So as far as I remember, Yunus was in some capacity working with younger players, um, and. Um, and I think you've you've uh, you know you highlighted everything in there is that um, he is somebody whose reputation is of being you know very he likes things done a certain way he is extremely extremely professional in that those things himself but that he also has very little kind of patience for you know people what he would uh, what is unprofessionalism and and you know what you see unfortunately quite commonly. Uh, in in in, um, in our cricket setup, um, and so that you know something, and um, that that perhaps, and again, like Yunus Khan has a history of uh, again, he's somebody who, when he's an authority, like you know, he can be really good as a mentor and everything, but sometimes it does feel like, as number two, he's a lot better when he comes, he's given absolute position uh, authority. It ends up. It's and I love Yunus Khan and I would defend him in a lot of these situations. But you can't deny that you know they kind of end up with like a lot of uh, stuff blowing up, and that is representative of somebody who has very strong beliefs and principles. And and so that's one thing. I mean, you know, I, it should work. Misbah and and Yunus uh, obviously have a lot of experience leading a young side together. So. Uh, that should work. But my concern is that, you know, Misbah, the coach, is very different from Misbah, the player, because Misbah, the player, was in the field and, and this guy, the coach and selector, isn't. And so that's something that obviously with Yunus Khan as well, because, you know, in my limited experience with cricketers, one thing that you do see is that the reason that great players rarely become great coaches or managers is that for them, a lot of things came easily and that could maybe it's not the talent but then the motivation to work hard came easily right like the motivation to gym four to eight hours or whatever came easily or the ability to swing it from like off to leg and leg to off came easily and i've seen that like i see you know like a a famous player kind of in the nets 
showing a youngster he's just like just do this and like none of them can do that because they just don't have that skill or you know like the older players complaining that these guys um we used to do this that xyz so what my point is that you know for a lot of them it's difficult to put themselves in the shoes of the players or a lot of times they're kind of like for example there's this theory that vakar is really hard on youngsters because he's openly talked about how he as a youngster was not disciplined and he feels he ruined his career etc so you know he's he's playing out his own ghost so so in that sense you know there is some hesitation in my mind but um I, I, also i think this happened you know a, a few days ago and right now with the virus and everything like as it is i wouldn't have been too uh, opinionated about something like this and uh, right now it's also harder to feel like i should be outraging at something like this or or arguing for or against or whatever um i do feel that it you know because looking at the misbah experiment so far it hasn't worked out great so i'm not sure if this is a great idea but um there's there's just as many reasons for why it could be a good idea all right so on that note i think we covered quite a lot uh, i enjoyed this uh, of course there were few disagreements uh, it's, it's bound to happen you put indian pakistani cricket fans you know doing a podcast together but uh, i think your your the, your views were really you know uh, quite honest candid and you you shared a lot of open thoughts and cleared some of my uh you know some of some of my memories of how i consumed javed miyadat so that was the most helpful like his background that was really good i hope uh, the listeners here uh, who tune in enjoy this because there are a lot of fans in india who you know marvel at the imran javed dynamic and that era so uh, you can follow amar i would i would add the sakib that um, if you haven't already um, usman samuddin's book uh, the unquiet ones is really good at um, at at you know it at kind of unpacking a lot of these myths um, it's not like a comprehensive history of pakistan cricket but it is really really good at unlocking a lot of the you know the things that we have come to expect about the team or the as well as the things that we don't realize about the team you know a lot of these opinions come from there absolutely there's a much needed plug in that book has come across as my suggested uh purchase it you know or when i ex- explore cricket books as i prepare for some of these podcasts so yeah that's on my list and uh, yeah once this podcast is released i'm sure you have a huge following and my small podcast will benefit uh, from the listenership point of view so we'll definitely want we definitely plan to have you back because there's still a chapter that's not finished picture abhi baki hai so let's uh, let's talk yeah. let's plan and talk more soon thank you for coming on the show uh thank you for having me i had a uh, great time doing this and you know um especially right now with nothing to do uh being asked to talk about uh, cricket from that nostalgic era is always fun